Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. You can turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 29. You can actually take this all the way through the chapter 2, verse 7. And I would encourage you to read it even more. But for this morning, we're going to focus on verses 24 through 29. When Christ is supreme in ministry. Now understand, last week we talked about we need to realize who he is. And we saw in the text the supremacy of this Christ, Jesus. We saw him as creator. We saw him as the whole purpose of everything. It was done for him and by him and through him. We saw that. That he is the center point of the purposes of God. Jesus Christ is. We saw that. And right on the heels of that, and we saw last week, at the end of that section, Paul says, and of which I, Paul, became a minister or or a servant. He talks about this gospel. Then he talks about his ministry. And we can insert ourselves into this scenario, not because we're apostles or we have um, apostolic ministry, but just being in service of the Lord after recognizing who he is. And I'm going to suggest to you in that order. Oh, you could do some things where others are serving for Christ. Notice how I worded that. You can serve the church. You can do some religious actions. But the only way you will have true ministry in Christ is if you have first embraced Christ. How are you going to do something for someone that you don't know how do you know what you're doing for the person is what they want done you ever have someone try to do something for you that didn't know you and they did it and you were like i didn't need that you might have been nice and didn't let them know i didn't need that i didn't want that you shouldn't have done that no really you shouldn't have you know people go you shouldn't have and they're really glad that you did in this case you're like no you really shouldn't have Because they didn't know you. How are we going to serve whom we don't know? You will inevitably make some sort of mistake or your purposes will be misaligned. So what we want to look at today when we say when Christ is supreme in ministry, points I want to focus us on is... Suffering isn't a setback. Suffering is not a setback. We'll see what it is, but suffering is not a setback. We're going to look at the fact of we've been selected as a steward. We don't use that word a lot, and for many of us, we don't like that word, but it is a good word that we've been selected. If you are in Christ, you've been selected as a steward. 
This one is not S. It's okay. It's the content of the ministry. I kind of racked my brain and there was no S. And I said, instead of trying to squeeze an S in this, just put it for what it is. The content of the ministry. And I get back to the S at the end. It's the strength for your ministry. It's the strength for your ministry. We're going to look at those four today. And what I really pray happens for you is you take a good look at how you're serving and ask yourself, is this ministry ministry because of Christ being supreme in me or is it for something else? Is what I'm doing an outpouring of the supremacy of Christ in my life. Thus, I'm doing this. Or am I just trying to soothe my conscience that I'm doing some good religious things, thinking that God is pleased and I'm checking off the brownie points with the Lord because I'm doing. You're being in church today. Let me help you out. Your being in church today has given you no brownie points with the Lord. All it should be for you is out of obedience coming and either you have an interest in hearing about Christ or because you know Christ, you realize this is one of the ways in which God grows you up in Christ. One of the ways, not the only way. So now that we got that out, relax. If you hear, relax. Be able to listen, hear what the Lord has to say, knowing that you've done him no favors. Amen? All right. So look at this when he says, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And here's that phrase again, of which I became a minister. I'm going to stop there because there's some more words. He actually goes on down with the verse. He says, now I rejoice. Remember, he just got finished that section of talking about who Christ is. And I mean, and, and it's amazing. He, the Christ, is creator. He is central over all humanity and the purposes of God in his creation is Christ, everything Christ. And then he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. It seems disjointed, but it's not. Because part of the package of going into ministry, remember he says in verse 23 at the end, of which I became a minister. So I am in service to the Lord because of who he is and what he's done for me. And because of that, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Why would you even mention that? Number one, because he had some. Number two, those Colossians and others that would read this letter knew about the suffering and the extreme suffering that he has. And he turns and says, now I rejoice. Coming off the heels of knowing who Christ is and that he is the center point of all that God wants to do, And since I am in this to do what God wants to do, I rejoice in my sufferings. 
He goes, suffering as you are carrying out service in the Lord is not a setback. It is a point of rejoicing. Why? He gives you why. And we got to change our perspective. <clears throat> See, we think, I said this earlier, here's how I know that we've believed something that is, well, we believe the lie, something that's not true, something that I think has hurt us. We've had people saying to us, when you come to Christ, you know, come to Jesus and it'll all be all right. Now, there's a certain part that I think I understand what they mean. It'll be all right. But that's too general. What we normally take it to mean is come to Christ and your problems are over. Come to Christ and he'll make it all right. You hear what that says? He will, but what he's made all right is that you can now stand before him and not be judged and under the wrath of God. But the all right we think is he's going to take it all away. It's going to be an easy road. I'm going to have smooth sailing. There's going to be no problems. I'm not going to have any pain because that's what we've been teaching people. That's how we've been luring them in on the fish hook. Look, come to Jesus. He'll hook you up, man. Anyone to come for that. But if he is saying that I am in my sin, and the only way that you will get yourself out under the wrath of God to come is by, is by, is by in obedience, taking advantage of his only provision, and that is Christ. And when I come, I am now in service to and under his hand, freedom, then I'm going to realize that suffering is not a setback. Look at what he says. It actually is. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And I love this. See, many times we don't have a problem with suffering for our sake. We don't. If I'm working on a project, if I'm trying to get a business up and running, I'll put in 60 hours a week, 80 120, it doesn't matter because it's for my sake or my family's. I got goals. I'm trying to reach some things. You're trying to get out of school. You're trying to get that new education. You're trying to learn some new things. I'll put in the hours. It's no big deal because it's for my sake. Look what Paul says. Love this. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's almost going... I'm getting no benefit out of this. And when he says sufferings, see, many times when we say sufferings, it was like, man, I didn't, I didn't get to get that sandwich, man, that I wanted. I didn't get to get that. I, 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 I missed that fun time with the group. Man, that's not suffering. I mean, it could hurt. You could be really wanting the fellowship. But the suffering he's talking about, you know Paul's history. When he proclaimed Christ and they beat him within an inch of his life, where they had to let him down outside the city to get him to escape, when he was preaching and, and, the, and, the, and the mob mentality, as we used to say in New York, bum-rushed him, came up, snatched him up, grabbed him, and they were beating them up like crazy. Or when the officials grabbed them and threw them in prison because they said, we told you not to come in here and preach that Christ stuff. 
That's the suffering he's talking about. It's when it gets real, when it hurts, when it causes you pain, when he is sitting in the Philippian jail after being whipped and they're singing and the warden couldn't understand. Oh, okay, we just beat these boys down and they're singing? Yeah, something must be wrong with them. That kind of suffering. So when he says, I'm suffering for your sake, that's a model for you and I. God says, when, when, when Christ is supreme in ministry, suffering for the sake of others coming to know Christ and to grow in Christ is not a setback. Actually, it's a place of fellowship. And y'all, some of y'all saying, now nah, I know you crazy. It's a place of fellowship? Hmm. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. In Philippians, he says, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. That was his prayer. He was telling the Philippians, I want to know God in Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. What fellowship? When you are experiencing hardship and especially extreme hardship because of your love for Christ and your service to Christ, suffering puts you in the fellowship of the sufferers because that's what the chief sufferer did, Christ. In other words, when he came on earth, first of all, to put himself in one of our old nasty bodies, filled with just humanity. Perfection stepped into imperfection. The creator lived and humbled himself around his creation that gave him the side eye regularly. Acted as if he was less than when he could have looked him in the eye and said, you don't know, I made you. We saw a glimpse of it when Pilate got ahead of himself, was kind of feeling himself, and he said to Jesus, don't you know I have the power, in essence, of life and death over you? And Christ hadn't said anything up until that point to him and looks him and says, you have no power except that which was given to you by God. And I could imagine, I, just my imagination, some people are sanctified now, it's just my imagination, that Pilate felt that because Christ looked right through him. I can imagine him staring at him, and it's almost like that dude, really, moment? You got nothing unless I gave it to you. The reminder was for him. The reminder was, you are, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who you're dealing with. And we see here when Christ stepped into humanity, when Christ stepped into us and, and, and sacrificed, sacrificed the need for sleep, the God who doesn't sleep, sacrificed the need to eat, the God who is self-sufficient and doesn't need anything to be sustained. Somebody's going to catch that. Emmanuel, God with us, God in flesh hmm, is suffering so that you and I could be in relationship with him. 
as I said last week, and I'll probably say it again during this message, I'll probably say it again. Some of us think we're just not that bad. Jesus didn't need to do all that for me. I'm okay. I'm good. And the problem with that is you don't even know what you don't know. You haven't even seen your need yet. But when you get to that point that you be, God begins to grab your heart and you see your sinfulness, you sit there before God like my sister did, Nikki, thank you for that, today and said, you don't understand. You don't understand what life is like without him. You're, you're not looking with clear eyes at the desperation that is ours if he is not there. So suffering isn't a setback. It is a place of fellowship because you realize that you are just like Christ when you are suffering in the service of the Father. And so now, because of what you did, it causes you to lose your job. I'm not saying that you weren't doing your job and they should have fired you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you are living as a believer and you are doing your work as you should, but because of who you are and your value system based on the scriptures, what ends up happening is that they say, we don't need you anymore. And it doesn't turn into a better job. You just sit there and nothing happens. God says, keep on. It's a place of fellowship. When you have seemingly given up all and you begin to serve and no one appreciates it and folks start to misunderstand you and the mistreat or they alienate it, um, and, and, and they alienate themselves from you and you kind of sit there feeling alone and be like, okay, God, what you going to do? I done given up everything. God says you are in the place of fellowship because that's what Jesus did. And so when he says that he is filling up that which is lacking in Christ, I mean, in, in Christ's sufferings, he's not saying Christ didn't suffer enough, so I'm finishing the job for him. He's not saying that. What the scripture actually says, and that word lacking means a deficiency. So let me ask you, if you went to the doctor and doctor says you have a vitamin C deficiency, I'm going to ask a question y'all can answer. What that means is what? You don't have enough or there's still more that you need to take. And so you up the vitamin C or D or E or whatever the deficiency. All it's saying here is not that Christ didn't suffer enough, that the suffering is not done yet. He said there's still more suffering to come because there's still more ministry to do. And ministry in this sinful world always brings along with it suffering. Why? Because you are going counterculture to the desires of this sinful world. You are pushing against darkness. You are working in areas that they want you to mind your business. And God says it's going to bring suffering. So he tells you and I, get ready for it. Don't get upset. Don't get sad. Get ready. And when you see it, we see examples of that. Do you remember when Peter and them were told not to preach this gospel and they came back out the next day and preached? 
And they snatched him up, whipped him, put him in prison, said, didn't we tell you not to do this? And they said, yo, hold on a second, hold on. We got to decide whether to listen to you or to God. And you lose every time. So we're going to be back out here when you let us out again. And you could beat us as much as you want. What does the scripture say? Look at it in Acts when they left. They rejoiced because they considered themselves worthy to suffer. Why? They said, we're just like Christ. I can imagine them. Yo, dudes, we were just like you. Didn't Jesus? Yeah. Now we're doing something right. I'm not saying that you go out there looking for a beating. Not saying that. Please don't. Because usually you end up doing something dumb and getting yourself in trouble and thinking that you're getting beat for the Lord and you're getting beat for your stupidity. Instead of being beat for the Savior, there's your S's. But understand, when it gets hard and you go, I've decided to walk in Jesus and it just seems like everything just fell apart. Ah, you on the right road, homie. You might actually be doing something right. So not as suffering, not a setback. You were selected as a steward. And underneath that, the saint's privilege. Here it is. He says, verse 25, of which, same phrase again, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He said he was selected as a steward. What is a steward? Back then, we, <clears throat> we, we call them managers now. People that were brought on, paid, hired to manage the affairs of someone's property. We do that today. You can be an upper level, I mean, upper level manager, executive, chief executive. You can be all that. But none of that stuff that you're managing is yours. It belongs to someone else. Steward. See, when it's yours, you're the owner and you're doing your own work. But when you hire someone to help you do your work and you give them responsibility and they have decision-making authority and they can choose on your behalf, they are now stewards. And if any of us owned anything and we gave it to someone to manage, you are looking for your possessions to be managed in the most excellent way. If that person starts to mess up and mess with what you've given them, what you do? Oh, that's okay. Going to mess it up some more. No, and snatch it. Bye. I'm going to get me another steward because you're an unfaithful one. I'm going to ask you and I, how is it with what God has handed you to manage to steward, to make decisions on, to carry out his business. What he has given to you, how are you managing it? And for some of us, I'm going to ask, do you even know what he's given you? See, because if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given something. You may not even know what you've been given. And for some of us, we know what we've been given. We're not doing anything with it or we're mismanaging it. He said, I've been selected, chosen as a steward 
I'm managing this ministry for him. Filling up or under completing in the suffering of being a servant and a steward. And here's the privilege. He says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, here's, here's, here's the mission or the purpose. The purpose is making known the word of God fully. That was his stewardship. That was what he was entrusted with. Now understand, this did not exist for them then. We put this together. So when he said making known the word, he didn't say, okay, y'all, turn to Colossians 2.1. It was Colossians 2 when he was writing to them. What he was saying is, I've been entrusted now with what the Lord wants you guys to hear. I'm going to give it, and I need to give it in such a way that it is making God fully known. And it's Christ for his purposes. And so he says, my reason for existence is not so that y'all can look at me. It's not so that I can become famous. It's so that I can have my reality show, Preachers of Indianapolis. This thing is you've been given and entrusted with some responsibility so that you can make the word of God fully known. Make him known. Today, I want to be seen. I want to be known. What's in it for me? I want to get everything I can around me. Not that you can't have anything, but that's not your purpose. God, I don't have a car like so-and-so. I don't have a house like so-and-so. He said, but that's not the purpose anyway. Why is it bothering you? You're not here for you. You're here for me. And if I give you some things, because stewards back then, stewards did have certain allowances and privileges that others did not because they were managing everything. So they had privileges, but the day that they took advantage of what they had and thought it was their own, they put themselves at odds with the owner. And for you and I, that's what we do. We will put ourselves at odds with the creator when we begin to take as our own that which has just been given to us to manage. It could be our families. How are you managing your families? It can be that job that God has given you. How are you managing the job in the name of Christ? It's the relationships that he has you being around. How are you managing your relationships as a steward? He was selected as a steward for your sake, he says. And so then we see after that the saint's privilege, which is the mystery hidden for ages, verse 26, and generations, but now revealed to his saints, his holy ones, those that he called out of sin, the privilege. What is that privilege? Verse 27, to them. Who's the them? The saints. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, of this mystery. And this mystery means it was it was purposefully hidden, a secret that could not be known until it was chosen by the one who held the secret to be revealed. What was the secret? And what he's talking about is from Old Testament days on, he was leading up to what would be revealed. And for some of us, we'll go, that's it. But no, yeah, that's it. 
What is it we see here? Which is Christ in you? He says, understand, Christ actually indwelling you was at the center of the purposes for God. And throughout time past into when Christ came and from that, the mystery was Christ will one day by the Spirit of God indwell all those who would be his followers, not just empower them from the outside, Old Testament prophets and all those, he would actually dwell in them on the inside, which doesn't make sense again. Christ perfection indwelling dirty imperfection. We, and, and so he comes and says, Christ in you, and here's this phrase that I don't know that we understand very much, the hope of glory. We hear that and we repeat it. What does it mean? First of all, Christ in me, the Christ will indwell, but the hope of glory, that hope means expectation, not wish list. That hope means it's a, it's a deposit. It's a, it's a security deposit for what's to come. Well, what's to come? It's saying Christ indwelling you now is just a taste of what you will experience when you get to see the fullness of the glory of God one day. So that's what he's saying. So Christ in you, the guarantee that you're going to be face-to-face in the fullness of the glory of God. Some of us are unimpressed. That's because we've been told that this Christian life was more based on what you get here in this life and material possessions and what you can gain and all of what can happen here. Here, this is ending. And for many of us, we may end before this ends. This is not going to last forever. And all those things that you enjoy, they're for your enjoyment, but that's not the purposes of God. Did you really think Christ came, put himself in a human body, endured all that foolishness from his creation so that you can get a new ride? That don't make sense to me. So that I can pad my account. So that I can be famous. So folk can follow me. So I can have 30 million followers. No, he says, Christ in you is the guarantee of what's to come. And if this is just part, if this is just a deposit, And what you're experiencing now and you're enjoying Christ in your life, that's just a deposit? Can you imagine what the full thing is like? That's what he wants us to get. He said that's the secret that you're now privileged to see and have revealed. Christ in you, the guarantee of what's to come. And so he says to you and I, wow, that's the the, the saint's privilege. God chose to make it known. But then it's the content of his ministry and then the strength for your ministry. And then we're out of here. Bear with me. Verse 28, the content of the ministry, he says, it's twofold. It's proclaiming him and presenting you. I love this. It's proclaiming him and presenting you and I. 
that's the, that's the full content at its most basic of Paul's apostolic ministry. He says, if you are to narrow what I am here to do down to two things, it is to proclaim him, and we'll say what that means, and to present you. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the whole purpose of ministry is not to get famous. It's not to fill up the seats, even though we would love to have it filled with people who are pursuing Christ, not just those who are trying to check off a religious brownie list. I'm doing it, Lord. But because you were made to come and you're sitting in here mad that you're sitting here. But he says that you would proclaim him and to be presented as mature in Christ. And when he says presented as mature, when time has come to a close and all things are done and they take a look at the content of your life and it shows that you have matured and have come to the point of mature follower. Purpose. Boy, that'll cut a lot of stuff out of what we do. That'll cut a lot of stuff out of who we, I mean, out of what we pursue and what we think is critical and important. So what does it mean to proclaim him? Some people think all it means is, here's what they say, preach gospel, which I want to say, what is that gospel that you want me to preach? And that's it. When it says proclaim him, him what? As in the earlier part of chapter one, God in flesh and the full purpose of God on earth, God's centerpiece of his purposes on this planet is Christ the man, his character, who he is. He says when he was asked, show us the father. And he said, if, if you see me, you see the father. And as I said before, what do you mean? God is like 6'2", 6'3"? No, no. He says, if you look at the totality of my life and my character, who I am, what I do, how I respond, he says, you are looking at the father because our characters are the same. And so when we proclaim him, we proclaim who he is. We proclaim what he does. We proclaim how he does it. We proclaim what his heart is set on, him, the totality of him as revealed in Scripture. So stop telling me just to say a couple of phrases and preach the character of Christ. Preach the purposes of Christ. Preach the values of Christ. Proclaim him. Now, that word proclaim can mean preach, but it also can mean to herald. And the herald means that you are announcing, they had heralds back then, bringing attention to, with, with a specific point in mind, a particular body of work. And it says, proclaim him all of who Christ is as revealed in Scripture, the fullness of the word of God. You are to declare it as critical when y'all say, listen, y'all, listen up. I need to say something. Listen. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about the values that he has. Let me tell you what are the desires of his heart, because we know it from his word. Let me tell you what his purposes are. Let me tell you what he is angry against. 
Let me tell you what he is pleasurably for. And we do it all. Because we proclaim him. What's the point of proclaiming him? Not so that y'all can think I got great oratory skills. Boy, that boy can preach. It's got nothing to do with that. You proclaim him so that we can present you. Present you what? As mature, growing, grown up. I realize one of the biggest pleasures for parents is when your kids grow up and, and, and they are presented in the world as maturing adults. Parents brag on them. Not just what you do. And some of you do that, but it's who you are. Who you are. And for those of us who are adults who have kids, our parents have been, had been, are talking about us. And who we are. Do you see my boy? Yeah. <laughs> Dude is all right. Man, he's handling life. Yeah, he's got these jobs and stuff. But character-wise, he's not going, yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> okay. No. It is that sense of presenting you to the world as a maturing adult. And you have benefit and purpose in this world. When we are presented before, all of what we do is constantly leading towards you maturing. If it's not, why are we doing it? See, we can do so. Yeah, we can talk about feeding those folk. But if all it's about is feeding those folk, we've shortchanged it. We can talk about wanting justice, but if it's just so that we can get back at y'all and things can be equal, we've missed the point. The point is maturing in Christ, that your decisions, your actions, the roads you take, how you live, all of it points to the fact that you are paying attention to who Jesus is and you are patterning, you, you are, you are patterning your life after that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, we proclaim warning and teaching. And I'm just going to spend just a moment on that, warning and teaching. We do a lot of teaching. We don't do enough warning. We don't do enough warning. Tell you, we tell folks, it's okay, y'all. Got to bring you along. No, let me warn you. Let me warn you. Some folks need some warning. You better quit. Bruh, you acting like you're going to get about 20 more chances. Let me warn you that God is holy. Let me warn you that scripture says, flee from the wrath to come. So people said, don't preach on the wrath of God. They'll never come back. Well, then don't let them come back. But I would rather them be here and be warned. Come on, we all know what warnings are. We've warned our kids. You've been warned as a kid. Some of us, we've been warned as adults. Keep that up. You ain't gonna have this job. Warnings are necessary. Why? Because sometimes it keeps you from the borders where you shouldn't be. Guardrails are warnings. Let me tell you, they are. What's on the other side you don't want. And you never appreciate guardrails until you're on a windy cliff road about 5,000 feet up in the Swiss mountains at night and you didn't expect to be there. I love them guardrails. I was scared as ever. 
My GPS had led us wrong. I'm on that road. My wife said, I was sweating bullets, going about 35 miles an hour. I said, everybody better go on and pass me because I'm not going any faster than this. As we're going up, and as I look over the guardrail, all I see is pitch blackness, which meant that was just sky. I love them guardrails because I knew not to touch it. And if I happened to slip and hit it, it had enough strength in it to bounce me off me like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Guardrails, warnings. What is God warning you about? What is God putting in front of you going, warning? You have warning lights in your car. Ignore it long enough, you'll be sitting there, I don't know what's wrong with my car, man. It just stopped all of a sudden. Bro, you've been getting that warning light for about three weeks. Come on. Warnings. But then it's not just warnings, because some people, they just won't warn you. And all you become is this person that just keeps crying wolf. Sometimes there's some teaching that has to happen so that you don't have to warn. So he says, warning everyone and teaching or instructing so you can learn everyone. Here's what I like. Those words are intentional, the everyone. He says, there is no, because Colossians was having that issue, there is no elite group to learn. It's for everyone. He says, so we teach, I mean, we warn everyone, both the big and the small, both the elite and those that no one wants, and the, and the marginalized. We warn everyone. We teach everyone so that, look at what he says, so that we may present everyone. This is a, for all ministry. God has got no classes. There's no middle class in Christ. There's no lower class, working class, executive class. I know when you go in that airplane, it's nice to be able to sit in business class. It is because you get more room. Instead of having to be back in cattle class, that's what we call it, where you feel like cattle. But hey, that's the way to look. I'll be in cattle class versus staying home and not going somewhere. But it's, you know, it's economy, business, first class. And many times, if you do that long enough, you start to think. You're where you sit. I'm a business class kind of person. I'm first class. Nah, you just bought a first class seat, spent a lot of money or got upgrades enough, and you sit in first class. But we start to think we are what we get the privilege of experiencing at times. Except in Christ, you're all the same. And so he says to us, we proclaim him so that we can present everyone. And then lastly, I love this. Please, why do you struggle, suffer, work hard, toil? Paul says, all that I just explained to y'all, it's for this I toil. This is why. And that word toil means to work yourself to exhaustion. That's what that word actually means. I work myself to the bone. I work myself to sleep. I'm so tired. Why do I do it? For what I just said proclaiming him to present you. And he says, y'all, it's a struggle. He admits it. It's not easy. Stop thinking, I'm going to get to ministry and it's going to be a cakewalk. The only thing will be if you eat some cake along the walk, but there will be no cakewalk. This is not easy. I just want to tell you, don't get into it thinking it's easy. And I'm not just, I'm not just talking about pastoral ministry, serving God in general. It's going to require of you sometimes what you don't want. 
It's going to take away time that you could be doing something else. It's going to have you up on a Sunday morning sitting up in a blue room filled with other people hearing messages about how to grow in Christ. You say, I could be asleep. You could be. You could. I could be on vacation. You could be. And sometimes you do. Good. But why do we do the thing? Why do we toil? He says, for this. But then he says, struggling. And here's what he says. If I were to write it, I would say, struggling with all my might. What does it say? Somebody, anybody, just read it. Struggling what? Read it. Say it louder. Come on. For this I toil, struggling with all who? His energy. Reason y'all so tired? You struggling with yours. Reason you ready to quit? You burned out? You struggling with your energy. Reason, I'm, look, I'm tired of this, God. I, I don't need this. You're right. You need him. Struggling with his energy. I love this, which he says that powerfully works within me. Christ is working in me, and I use that energy that he provides to do what he wants so that you are benefited. And so let me ask you, does your ministry look like when Christ is supreme? Here's what it'll look like, and we're closing. It went really long today. Here's what it'll look like. Suffering isn't a setback. You realize that it's not. It's a place of fellowship. You realize that you've been selected as a steward and as a saint, you've been given the privilege of Christ in you, the deposit, the guarantee of what's to come. Number three, the content of the ministry is to proclaim him and to present others, everyone, as mature in Christ. And the last one, strength, is that I struggle with the energy, with the power he gives and makes me struggle. I can, I can struggle well. Yeah, this is work. Yeah, there's some times, Lord, I don't want to do it. He says, I know you don't, but you know what? I've just given you some strength I need you to use. I need you to use it. There's some power at work in you. I need you to put it to work. And as you do that, what you begin to see is the powerful way God will use you. And you, at that point, you don't even want the credit. Folks start to talk about you, you be like, yo, you don't understand, bro. You don't understand. This is, this, this is Christ in me. It's not me. You don't start going, yeah, I'm pretty nice, aren't I? Nah, 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 nah. You start going, it is Christ in me, y'all. And it could be Christ in you. I'm not special. I'm just like you. Christ in you. Will your ministry look like when Christ is supreme? I pray that it does. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that today you have allowed us to see how the supremacy of Christ should work in our ministries when you are supreme. And I pray, God, that it shows that suffering is a place of fellowship, that stewardship is a privilege, that ministry is about proclaiming and presenting and that we do it with your strength that you give us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
and I pray that that would be ours in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.